see you there. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw listening to the last show, it occurred to me, I have no website, and uh, I was looking at some of my mail today, and uh, the truth is, you have to mail it, uh, snail mail, to me here at KPFA, if you uh, (coughs) want to get in touch. You can email KPFA, that's one thing you can do, and then they put it in my box, but I won't get it till the following Tuesday, although the next three Tuesdays, I'll be gone because KPFA will be uh, raising money, getting subscriptions. Uh, That's a good deal. I know everybody will come through for us. I'll be back on the air on March the 8th for International Women's Day. Making plans for that goodie? Yes. Uh, Again, if you need to... Get in touch with me. Snail mail is KPFA 1929, Martin Luther King Way, Berkeley 94704. It's easy to remember because Martin Luther King was born in 1929. Uh, yes. <laughs> today, today is February the 9th, 2016, and coming up on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Yes, and Dorothy Parker. Ah, Dorothy Parker wrote, uh, was it a two-volume novel? The sun's gone dim and the moon's turned black because I loved him and he didn't love back. (laughs) Yes, Uh, I had planned to read some of the great love poems, but... uh, Somehow that just doesn't work for me anymore. Uh, I I usually start with the Song of Solomon because it's kind of I don't know it's kind of kind of kind of dreamy, you know. Uh, contemporary love poetry leaves me cold. I'm with the Victorians, actually, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I I remember. Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem, the one that ends, you know, but if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. 
Now I've been thinking about that one now that I'm 82. I'm not even sure about that. I'll, I'll go back to Christina Rossetti. I'll save that for another day, maybe. Christina Rossetti, uh, that's the one in which she promises uh, to leave him alone in this life. But uh, after she's gone, she will not swear, right? You know, she just might uh, might haunt him. Anyway, I took out my file on these poets. Uh, first thing that caught my eye was a few lines in Elizabeth Barrett Browning's uh, letters here. Uh, I guess it is a poem. It's inside of one of her letters. Uh, she is addressing men those whom she calls her brothers, and she writes, Do you hear the children weeping, O my brothers, ere the sorrow comes with years? They are leaning their young heads against their mothers. That cannot stop their tears. Oh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning certainly knew it was a man's world. Uh, she liked it that way. You know, Robert Browning, I guess, was cool. But uh, she did know she was uh, intelligent. Then, as now, she knows it was the fathers, is the fathers, who must love their children. Nothing much will change until that happens. Uh, I was looking at a issue of Sun Magazine, Sunbeams on the back page, and I found uh, a quote from Toni Morrison about fathers. Uh, here's what Toni Morrison says. Mm-hmm. Toni Morrison was asked why she had become a great writer, what books she had read, what methods she had used to structure her practice, she laughed and she said, oh, no, 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 no. That is not why I am a great writer. I am a great writer because when I was a little girl and walked into a room where my father was sitting, his eyes would light up. <laughs> ah, that's lovely. I think of my father's favorite poem, the one, you know, Jenny kissed me. When we met leaping from the chair she sat in, oh, it's just too, too mawkish, you know. Um, it's just not the sort of thing we read anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, this page has some wonderful quotes. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson says, Respect the child. Be not too much his parent. Trespass not on his solitude. <laughs> uh, Stephen Covey quotes Albert Schweitzer, the great German physician and philosopher. Schweitzer was asked how to raise children, and he said three principles, first example, second example, and third example. Yes, of course, of course. Indeed. Uh, the severe... Uh, the severe tone of voice is taken by Elizabeth Hainstock. She says, never do for a child what he is capable of doing for himself. That's a good one. I've always tried to follow that. Yes. Uh, the the uh, 
Congressman McCullers, quote, may be too, too sentimental for these days, but I like it. It comes from the Ballad of the Sad Cafe. Carson McCullers writes, The hearts of small children are delicate organs. A cruel beginning in this world can twist them into curious shapes. The heart of a hurt child can shrink so that forever afterward it is hard, pitted as the seed of a peach. Or again, the heart of such a child may fester and swell until it is a misery to carry within the body, easily chafed and hurt by the most ordinary things. I think of uh, Langston Hughes' phrase, the raisin in the sun, you know, how it shrivels up. Uh, Here's one I like. Kids, yep, they dance before they learn there is anything that isn't music. (laughs) That's nice. Uh, Let's see now. Here's a real philosopher, an Eastern philosopher. Ah, uh, yes. He writes about something that is, what is that, very, very familiar to me, but we don't like to confess it. He says, I have never been one of those people who feels that the love one has for a child is somehow a superior love. But it is a singular love, because it is a love whose foundation is not physical attraction or pleasure or intellect, but fear. You have never known fear until you have a child. Maybe that is what tricks us into thinking, that it is more magnificent, because the fear itself is more magnificent. Every day, your first thought is not I love him, but how is he? The world overnight rearranges itself into an obstacle course of terrors. Well, I was going to go on and discuss uh, the times when my fears for my children were overwhelming, but I find that even even that is too overwhelming. Uh, those of us whose children are uh, middle-aged, now in their 50s, we still know what it feels like. Uh, I'll read you the funny one here. There's one from Edward, the Duke of Windsor. I believe that's Queen Elizabeth II's youngest son, Edward, Duke of Windsor. Hmm. Not sure. Edward, Andrew, Edward. Anyway, he's visiting America, and he says, The thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. (laughs) Just terrific. Obviously, that tells us that the British assume that they are, what you call that, uh, the dominant person. I was thinking, yes, if you saw something called The King's Speech, it's a film in which we learn that uh, Elizabeth II's father uh, was starved as a child by his nursemaids obviously uh, made him made him very nervous he died young uh, anyway uh, anyway not to worry not to worry uh, children are what's happening they always will be what I always notice is how incredibly resilient they are no matter what we do to them oh anyway we do know 
that nothing much is going to change in society until the fathers love their sons. Aha, yes, until they uh, love their sons more than they hate their enemies. Now, that's the trick, you know. They call it love when they send their sons out to kill their enemies. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, they love them so much. They want them to have glory. And, yes, they get them the weapons and off they go. Oh, oh, oh. they're such brilliant geniuses. Uh, they promote the thing, you know. Religion is the best trick. Uh, glory and... Uh, God, God will will reward you. Uh, anyway, uh, those who try to speak truth to patriotic power, uh, these are eliminated. Those men and women who tell the truth. You know, you know, Kipling. He said, "If they ask you why we died, tell them this: our fathers lied." Uh, Andrea Dworkin, the late Andrea Dworkin, she said, I only write what men do. Now, the fate of the world's children is, of course, uh, tied to the fate or the state of their mothers. Uh, this has to be pointed out to some people, you know. Slave child had no father. When a feminist mother struggles for human rights, uh, you know, just the ordinary human rights, uh, they are often dismissed as do-gooders. Uh, you know how that goes. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt at the UN, I remember several cartoons about Eleanor long, long ago. Uh, she's the universal mom. Uh, human rights, and she demanded a human rights amendment in the UN. Uh, I think she got it, but it doesn't mean it's been carried out. Uh, even when women are permitted to speak, to ask, to implore, uh, not much comes of their special interests. Yes, special interests. That's at the bottom of the list. Uh, you know how that goes. The serious business is war and warriors and men and money. That's reality. The social issues are lumped together. You know, nice ideas. What a lovely thought. Uh, if we could just afford it. Uh, if money is tight, the first thing to go. Aha. Yes, are the things that promise a future. Uh you know, uh, the next generation's hope. A civilization is not a frill. Uh, always, it's the bombs, not the babies. I know so many people who always say, if we spent the same amount of money on preschool education as we spend on the prisons, everything would change. So why don't they do it anyway? Children, child care, education, uh, the environment, the health care. We all know the litany, uh, the needs of all human beings. So why is it when I ask a woman 
Well, even an older woman, I say, now, why is it like this? Why is there this money, money, money for the warriors, for the bombs, not the babies? And they'll look me right in the eye and say, oh, no, 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 we can't afford that, <laughs> you know. Uh, who's we, I say? They say, well, the, the government, the, the tax papers, the, the economy, you know, uh, running out of resources. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I think the, uh, well, the welfare mothers and the uh, incarcerated prisoners, yes, they're the ones using up all our money. Right. Uh, anyway, as the perfectly intelligent people keep telling me that the economy is so bad that by the time they are old, there will be no social security. Uh, you know, uh, it will be privatized, that's for sure. Anyway. I think that the masses are in this kind of trance. I think of it as a TV trance. It's certainly a self-fulfilling prophecy right now. Bernie Sanders, bless his heart, uh, he's got the vision thing, you know. He uh, tells us we can wake up uh, Scandinavian citizens. I certainly hope so. Many people want to believe him, right? Hillary Clinton, too, she... She she tried, you remember, when she failed to get national health care, she went for that first thing the minute Bill hit the Oval Office. Uh, but the way things are, we know that presidents have very little to say about making things work, making things better. I know that they would if they could. They really would, honestly. Think about it. Uh, even Nixon gave money to the arts. Anyway, I'm convinced that... Most of the people who get to the Oval Office, to the White House, they don't want the children to starve, anyway, not before lunch, at least not our children. I mean, uh, you know, those here in North America, uh, at least the ones of European heritage, uh, chief executive, uh, the truth is, can't get Congress to do the right thing. Now, that's good, that separation of powers thing. I, I taught that in the eighth grade. Uh, but if you remember a movie called Lincoln, Daniel Day-Lewis played Lincoln, you know, he's breaking his neck to get Congress to pass the uh, amendment that would outlaw slavery forever and ever and ever. He had emancipated the slaves with his executive order. But he knew that the next administration could just throw it out if he didn't get the Constitution fixed. Anyway, uh, funding progressive programs is not the sort of thing that our Congress is willing to do. I always think of it as it's like a wife trying to wheedle money from her husband, you know, just for a little, uh, you know, new pair of slippers. Uh, anyway, she has to make deals, a fair trade, some call it. You know, fair trade if you want to get, oops, if you want to get screwed. Anyway, the rich then get richer. And the poor get babies, and today it is their mothers who must support them in the main, in the main. All the ups and downs and changes during my lifetime, they have made very little difference when it comes down to it. Uh, women are still so stressed out, I don't know how they manage it. Uh, women must still struggle, uh, 
even those with decent jobs used to be enough. One income used to do the job. The laws don't seem to be working, or anyway, they're of very little use, especially if the fathers just split, you know, just walk out, leave, uh, move to another state. Dick Gregory used to say, runaway fathers will inherit the wind, don't we know it? Everyone, everyone tells me about the exceptions, you know, especially those in the the new, the new wave, the men who do the right thing. God love them, you know. Uh, I got child support, a pittance, not enough to to take care of things, but uh, enough to take the edge off. Now I'm talking about trends. My nightmares are about Sharia law and how it shadows everything. It is a shadow cast around the world. Our own fundamentalists and Christians, you know, I think they have their own patriotic, pardon me, uh, paternalistic agenda. Women must submit, otherwise there's no order to things, you know. Uh, can't have their own choices, playing God, you know, deciding when to give birth last week, uh, I kept thinking about the looming horror of the Zika virus, and I kept thinking about all of the women who cannot avoid pregnancy. Uh, we certainly can't claim that this biological catastrophe is man-made. You can't blame it on the guys. No, no, no. No human being cooked up that disaster, but we do know that the history of the world's response to the threats and dangers that women, uh, well, that terrify women, especially pregnant women, uh, they don't, they don't seem to scare the boys so much. Uh, I mean, it's not a direct threat to males, this virus, but only to their children, their offspring, the future. Uh, thus, we cannot count on the response, the imperative response that has to be done uh, today, tonight. I mean, if that mosquito gets going, there's a case that has hit Houston a few days ago. Last week, I talked about mosquito nets and Pope Francis and what public response will be if and when this thing spreads. Uh, sexual transmission is happening. The virus can survive in semen, sometimes for a long time. I look around and see very few people in a state of panic. Of course, now I'm probably wrong about that. I think that uh, at the Center for Disease Control and health departments all over the world, the Surgeon General, all those people must be freaking out. This week, I saw one infant with a misshapen head, skull smaller at the top, you know. Anyway, I only know that the war on women is a war on the species. And the man-made evils, the things which could be changed today, tonight, are the things that uh, concern us the most.
women could be given their full human rights. 130 million women on the planet, some say more than that, have suffered uh, genital mutilation, a subject that no one ever wants to hear about. This grotesque procedure is torture. It's not tradition. Uh, We're often told here in the West that it's none of our business, but uh, that's nonsense. This assault on woman's bodily integrity is castration. It's done to repress woman's sexuality. In fact, the worst of these surgeries can result in death. The incidence of infection is high. The complications of pregnancy are increased. Urine and menstrual blood may be blocked. No one wants to listen to this stuff. I can feel it. Uh, <laughs> recently, I had an editor tell me to... Uh, uh, Mind my own business, basically. When I sent him a poem, it was called Private Property. Uh, it concerns this practice of female genital mutilation and historic reality that dates back to, oh gosh, um, the Greek historian Herodotus writes about it. It's long, long before Islam, before the Prophet. The Koran doesn't deal with this. Uh, there's nothing to do, nothing to do with the Muslim uh, world, well, the Muslim religion. But the uh, the culture, the culture has definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, promoted, oh dear, the immigrants. There are immigrants in the UK, I notice, and uh, there have been laws passed, but uh, the families, the families can have these procedures done in private, and it seems that... Uh, their women still belong to the family. Uh, all this dates back to the time when women became property very early, like the livestock, the land, the dishes, you know, or the children themselves. Somebody's got to own them. Now, I brought that poem today, and I don't have time to read it. Isn't that sad? Uh I just wanted to assure myself that I still have free speech. Bless KPFA. I'll save it and I will read it another time. Uh, this free radio network is a forum for progressives, for the sort of Cassandras like me who go mad. You know, when we're not listened to, when we're not believed. Uh, I know that recent attempts... Uh, to change things are in progress. Fran Hoskins is the name of the woman who's on top of this issue. Fran Hoskins. Uh, I think, uh, I think I'll save all of her uh, pamphlets and her work and the work of Nawal El Sadawe for another time. The truth is, uh, Yes. Oh, I wish I had time to read private property, dear, dear me. Uh, oh, I have all this stuff from uh, Nawal Sadawe and all this material uh, from, would you believe, Isaac Dennison and from George Bernard Shaw, from the book The Hidden Face of Eve. That's Nawal Sadawe. Uh, uh-huh. She says that the 
procedure is more political than religious. She states that while she is against all such retrograde and cruel practices, it's an error to view them in isolation. And she goes on to tell us that women in Europe and America may not be exposed to surgical removal of the clitoris. Nevertheless, they are victims of cultural and psychological clitoridectomy. Lift chains off my body, put the chains on my mind. And George Bernard Shaw says, it's impossible to get women to take their chains off if they think the chains are respectable. I'll be back on March the 8th. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. KPFA Undercover and Fantasy Studios invite you to a special tribute to Bay Area punk rock royalty Green Day and their influential album Dookie. Green Day was a tidal wave of inspiration for disaffected kids around the world. Their soaring anthems, humor, and heartfelt honesty continue to inspire today. After numerous Grammys, Tonys, and an induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Green Day took Bay Area music to the world stage. The night is a fundraiser for 924 Gilman, home to the East Bay Punk legacy. Undercover has curated over 150 artists from 15 local bands. Genres ranging from orchestral to Arabic to mariachi punk and even gospel. Undercover presents a tribute to Green Day's Dookie will be held at Oakland's Fox Theater on Friday, February 19th. For more information, visit UndercoverPresents.com.